0: Well, good morning, and welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be here with you today. We're in this series called Let's Stop Pretending. Uh, We're talking about the reality of our relationships, and sometimes you might come to church, and you hear something presented, and you're like, man, I wonder if I'm ever even going to face that. I wonder if that's something that's going to be a part of my life. I wonder if I have to look out for that. Today's not that day. Today's the day where we talk about something that we're all in all the time, and it's not simply relationships. It really is about conflict. And it's just one of the things that we have to deal with, and so we better just get good at it. And wouldn't it be nice if God's Word said something to us that would be helpful to us in dealing with conflict? Because the truth is, it doesn't matter what the relationship is, doesn't matter what sphere of your life, conflict is there precisely because you're there and precisely because you're there with other people. We've, we all struggle with relationships, and we have since our earliest days. Let me take you back to our playground days, to a phrase that I heard multiple times a day when I was much, much younger. It goes like this. Yeah, sticks and stones may break my bones. And can you finish it for me? Let's see it. But words will never hurt me written by somebody clearly in denial, written by somebody clearly a little bit deluded about what the power of words do, because you know this as well as I do, when we're in conflict and that switch is flipped inside of us, maybe your response is to reach for the most painful words you can find and throw them at the other person. Now, that's not my struggle. I just know that some people deal with that. Um, But we say things like this just to act as if Conflict, and the words people say in conflict don't really matter to us, they don't really hurt, but the truth is they do, because I know that you probably remember some words that were said to you by a parent, by a friend, by a spouse, by a child, by a boss, by an employee. We all bear the marks. We like to forget. We find ourselves incapable of doing that sometimes. Some of the comments that have been made to us and words that have been said haven't just been hurtful or annoying, they have altered the direction of our life. And we would really appreciate if we could go back and handle it all over again. We've got to get a grip on our relationships. We've got to get a grip on conflict. I would argue this morning that the way you handle conflict will determine the quality of your relationships. It will. Uh, maybe more than any other thing, how you handle conflict will determine the quality of your relationships. So, again, this isn't about something that might happen down the road. This is about where we live at street level at your address every single day. I mean, think for a minute what kind of a relationship do you have with people who respond like this? They listen to what you have to say, they share their observations. They, they offer forgiveness. They own their part. They take responsibility for what they've done. Chances are, if you're in a relationship with someone like this, you can make it. You can, there's hope. You have hope in this kind of a relationship. Contrasted with the type of people who respond like this, with attacking and accusing and blaming and, and maybe the most mysterious and annoying is the clamming up because you just don't even know what's there. You don't have any idea what's going on. Relationships with people who respond like that are really, really difficult. So it really is pretty simple. We understand that how we handle conflict in our relationships will determine the quality of them. And what's sad, what's sad is that we often live with so many problems in our relationships that we don't have to live with because we ourselves can do something about it. We can't do everything but we can do our part. So today, we're going to look at what God has to say about conflict and how we are to deal with it. Paul, a writer of Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens some words in the 12th chapter of Romans specifically about relationships and and give us a clear and concise path to getting to a place in relationship, not where we can avoid conflict altogether, but we can deal with it in a way that provides for progress and brings hope. Wouldn't that be nice? Think about your most strained relationship. No elbows, no glances. Just think about it. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was just a little bit of hope shown in that relationship? But here's the deal. I need to let you know right from the very beginning, this will be difficult for us. For more than one reason, but here's just a couple quick ones. One, the instructions Paul gives are countercultural. This is not going to show up in your newsfeed. It's not going to be demonstrated for you on social media in all likelihood. This is countercultural. We don't see this often in politics. We don't see this from people that we, that we ought to be able to respect. We don't see this from our school and governmental officials. We don't see it. Secondly, it's difficult. So I just need to let you know what we're going to do today difficult, not impossible but difficult. We, you see, we'd rather do what feels natural to us. In the heat of the moment, we go to instinct. We go to what we have trained ourselves to do. And I would guess, based on the quality of the relationships that exist, not only in the world, but even within our church, we don't always default to what we're going to talk about today. But I would argue that if we do, things would change in an amazing way, not simply for us, but for our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, it would be incredible. What if we decided to go a different direction from what just came so naturally to us? So let me begin to show you what God prescribes when it comes to conflict. And I want to quickly say, if you're here today and you're a bit skeptical about the Bible, about God, about faith, and things like that, and you wonder if God's Word has anything to say about real life, you have chosen a great day to be here. And I would encourage you to keep coming back because these instructions today hit us right where we live. And we would do well to really pay attention. You see, we believe the Bible says something about everything explicitly by implication or by pattern. We think the Bible has something to say for every area of life. And as I mentioned before, in Romans 12, Paul lays out a a really nice path toward dealing with conflict. And really, it's based upon the idea that David introduced to us last week, and that is the idea of honor. Honor that people actually have intrinsic value, and I will treat them as such. They don't have value because of what they do, or where they came from, or what they look like, or anything else. They have value simply because their maker, their manufacturer, has determined and declared their value. God has made everyone, and because we're made in the image of God, we have value, and we would do well to treat each other like that. So let's start with a summary of Paul's instructions. We're going to be in Romans 12, but we're going to begin with the very last verse in this chapter, which says this, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When problems arise, when conflict comes into our life, we need to overcome evil with good. We're not attacking the person, pointing fingers, looking to to cast the blame somewhere, shutting down and internalizing everything. Our default needs to be, I need to overcome evil with good. So if last week was about the fact that we need to honor everybody, this week is really more specifically how to honor everyone. And here is the big truth. We honor God and others by overcoming evil with good. That's what we do. If you're taking notes this morning in the app, writing things down, this is one thing to get down. We honor God and others by overcoming evil with good. Now, if you have your Bible or your device, we're in verse 21. We're going to go back up to verse 14 and start right there. Here's what Paul says. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. All right. Take a deep breath, because what Paul does right in the very beginning is addresses you. He addresses me. He does not say the path to solving conflict is by fixing the other person. What we're going to do today requires a laser focus on us, our part. So we just need to let everyone else go in this moment and say, okay, this is about me. Not if only the other person would, I could. Nope, none of that. Paul says, Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Well, Paul begins by addressing what we have to say toward and about people that we're in conflict with. And he says, You are to pray for them and you are to bless them, asking God to bless them, to do good things for them. That's crazy. To ask God, God, would you please do something special for them? Bring some good into their lives, almost as if they have honor, almost as if our heart is moving toward the direction of forgiveness. We're not there yet, but we're moving in that direction. In fact, I would just say right after this series on the heels of this relationship series is a three-week series on forgiveness, and I would urge you to come back for that one. We're going to take a little dive into the subject of forgiveness. So how do we practically overcome evil with good? The first of five strategies to overcome evil with good comes from verse 14, and it's this. Control your tongue. That's it. Control your tongue. How many times have things spun out of control because we didn't control our tongues? We wish we could go back and take those words and and bring them back in, but we can't. We wish we never would have heard or received the words against us, but we did. Think about some of the most recent conflicts you've had. How much differently Would it have gone if you would have simply controlled your tongue? What about blessing people or praying for them rather than attacking them and digging up the past? You see, what tends to happen, at least for me, is when I'm in conflict, I travel the well-worn paths in my life that I've established. I do the same old things. It's the same old response that I have to fight so hard against. Some of you might be yellers. Some of you name callers. Some of you just like sort of physically uh, outward and violent. My go-to is unfortunately sarcasm. I can get real sarcastic and use it as a weapon. It is a daily prayer request that I have to ask God to help me not use sarcasm as a weapon. The problem is I really enjoy it. And I, and I can use it for good. A sarcastic humor, to me, is clever and fun. But in a fight, it's cheap and easy and it's pretty evil. And I can go there and I don't help myself and I don't help other people when I do it. And often, what I'm trying to communicate is true and might need to be said. But the way I say it, it when, when I do that, I relinquish my right to be helpful in the situation. I've offered something true, packaged in sin and selfish motivation, and therefore I've rendered it unuseful. Not only that, but the text specifically commands us to pray that God would bless people. So really, Paul's asking us to redeem the use of our tongues by not using them for evil, but using them for good. And this is so unnatural. It goes against every grain of my flesh to do this, but when I fail to do this, I actually dishonor and devalue the other person. They're just in my way now and I need to remove them from my way so I will just attack them. I will be sarcastic with them or whatever we do. This actually seems to be pretty common among all people and in churches because when Paul writes to the Ephesian churches in chapter four, verse 29, here's what he has to say there. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I think our cars and our homes And the rooms we occupy would become much quieter if we just applied this right here. This abusive language has the idea of corruption. It works like rust. It's like salt that gets under the body of your car, and you don't know it's there. By the time you know it's there, it's already done its work, and it's just sort of spread, and then you see it on the outside. That's the idea, and that's what words do. It's talking about that corrosive effect. But he has more to say, as if this one wasn't difficult enough. Verses 15 and 16. He says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. In our relationships, Paul actually calls on us here not to simply control our tongues, but to lean in and focus on the other person. The second strategy is this focus on others and not in what they need to change. He says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who, are weep, who weep. We are to focus on how they're feeling, what's going on in their lives. I've got to pay attention to what's happening. Let me tell you, in a conflict, this is the last thing I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking of what kind of day you had. I'm not thinking of uh, what might be going on in your life or, or what your story might be or how you got to where you are. All I'm thinking is you and I are at odds and I'm about to take care of it. Paul says, hold it. You have a story too. Wouldn't it be nice if someone considered what you had been through? What your day has been like? What what the path has looked like for you? Wouldn't that be so nice? Wouldn't, Wouldn't it be nice if people took into account the things that have brought you to where you are and made you who you are? Wouldn't that be great I don't, I don't know many people who do this, but I'm telling you, if we, if we would stop and consider what's going on, how would we know they're happy? How would we know they're weeping? We have to pay attention. We have to focus. And I wonder what would happen if we could do this, just quiet our tongues for a moment to consider what's going on and how do I meet their need? You see, I think, I think this is something that we wish others would do for us. How often, if you're berated, belittled, or criticized, or whatever, do you walk away thinking, you know, if they only knew. If they only knew. You know what? Perhaps you can know about the other person. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that gets tossed around, not as commonly as sticks and stones did, and that's not Scripture. But Luke 6.31 says this. It's called the golden rule. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Now, I like to play that one on defense, right? Hey, hold it. Are you treating me right now the way that you would want me to treat you? No, if not, then change course. But I don't naturally want to apply this one to myself. But what Paul's getting at here and what Jesus also taught is you can't control what other people do, but you can control what you do. Paul says, focus on others, consider what might be going on in their lives and don't think that you know it all, that you've got the full picture. Now let's get back to Romans 12 for the third strategy. Verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. I feel like this whole set of instructions is we're just running a million miles an hour and Paul's like pump the brakes. Control the brakes tongue. Focus on others. Thirdly, keep doing what is right. That's what you've got to do. It goes against the grain. Every fiber of my being wants to speed things up and play into the anger and impulses that are rising up inside me. Someone does something wrong, you come back harder, louder, stronger. You hear this in children. He started it. You know, you, you watch athletic events. There's the one act that the one athlete does. He tugs the jersey of the other one. And, and no problem there. Nothing happens. But then the retaliation. What is it? It's a hand to the face. It's, and it's always the second one that gets called. It's rarely ever the very first thing that's done that gets called. It's always the retaliation that gets called. Apart from the fact that those little things sound like things that kids say regularly. Uh, they have no place among us. The sad thing is, it's not just kids who use phrases like that. You work with enough adults, you understand that everyone gets older, and some people also grow up. This is all too common. And if someone asks you in the middle of a conflict to answer honestly, do you want to get even? I think we'd probably, most of us, answer, absolutely. You bet I do. But the instructions are clear slow it down. Have we been praying for good for the other person? Have we been looking for opportunities to do good for them? To plan good for them, not vengeance? Now you might find it difficult to do good to the person you're in conflict with. Like you might be at a loss. What would I even do here? Let me encourage you. Don't stop praying, looking, trying, and asking for ways you can bless the person you're in conflict with. Sometimes, Sometimes all this means is refusing to talk about them and choosing to talk to them. In fact, this is one of our staff values at Bridgewater Church. We do not talk about people. We talk to them. If Julie and I have a problem, she'll be the very first person who knows about it. She will not hear it from any of you. Because we don't talk about people. We talk to them. Julie and I will work this out. If we can't get it, then we will get helpful, uh, helpful people involved to help us get past this. This is what I'm talking about. What would change in your life? What would change in your family if you refuse to talk about people, unless of course you're praising them and chose to talk to them? Let me tell you as a pastor in a church, it is so encouraging to me. I would rather anyone, whatever you've got to say, just say it right to me and to learn that I'm the first one to hear about the gripe is amazing. And can I tell you, it's sadly rare. I, I know from someone and someone and someone else that I did something to offend that one person. But by the time it gets to me, it's so diluted, I have no idea where it began or what even happened. And this is not just me, it's you too. You know this. This is the world we live in. Precisely because most of the people that we know don't follow God's instructions for dealing with conflict. Jesus certainly modeled doing good to those who hurt you. Blessing and not cursing. Was it not Jesus from the cross who cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing? We look at that and say, that's unbelievable. But then we might say, well, that's Jesus. I mean, it's like he was God. So it's kind of harder for people to do that. But there are people who have done this. One such person is Martin Luther King Jr. Here's what he said. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. In so many ways, I'm moved by the convictions of Martin Luther King Jr., who believed that every single person was redeemable. Even people who dishonored him, devalued him, called and thought of him as less than human. He responded in love. It is possible. It is possible. And it's necessary if we're going to overcome evil with good. There's another step. Look at verse 18. It says this, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Okay. Do everything you can to live in peace with everyone. Paul calls us to strive for peace, but don't miss what's implied here. Do all that you can. Let's look at the NIV's version of this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The implication here is peace might not be possible. But don't let it be because you didn't do your part. If the bridge will be burned between you and another person, don't drop the match on your end. Strive for peace, yes. Own your part, yes. Listen to what they have to say, yes. Ask for forgiveness, yes. Give forgiveness, yes. Work to restore, yes. But you can't make the other person forgive you. You can't make the other person listen. You can't make the other person see forgiveness and you can't uh, make the other person work to restore. You can't do it. You can do everything you can to position yourself to be ready to see that relationship restored. But this points out the fourth strategy, and that is this. Recognize your limits. There will be people who will just choose to be immovable, and they will not restore with you. Now, I don't think the problem with us normally is that we try so hard and do everything we can. I think, I think we call it quits early. We're like, ah, yeah, yeah." you know, I I called, I did, I called, I called once. I sent a text. Did they get it? I don't know. I've done everything I can. I I think we pulled the plug on the process way too early. I mean, really, have we been praying for them? Have we been speaking well of them? Have we been focusing on what's going on in their life and acknowledging that we understand that it must be difficult to be in the position that they're in? Have we done and planned good things for them? Refusing to take vengeance? Have we done any of that? If not, you probably haven't done everything you can to live at peace with all people. I think we can do way better on this one. That God is not unreasonable. They may choose not to. Why is this such a big deal? I think often it's because we expect other people to do this for us. We expect them to make the effort. We look for them. We, we know when they haven't called, texted, spoken, whatever. We're very aware. And we think they need to do it, but we really struggle to do it. But Paul is saying, you do everything you can. And then, and only then, you leave it in the hands of God. Let him do what he's going to do. Finally, Paul gives us the fifth strategy to resolving conflict with good in verses 19 through 20. Let's take a look. Dear friends, never take revenge. In case we missed it, he brings it up again. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. What's he saying? To borrow a popular phrase, the fifth strategy is this. Kill them with, with kindness. Just overwhelm them with kindness. The, the burning coals of shame on their head. This is, a, this is an old illustration of what someone would do when they were ashamed. When, when they were in repentance, they would take the ashes the, the, from the burning coals and they'd put it on their head as a sign of uh, humility and, and a contriteness of heart. They've recognized what they've done. And Paul says, you just keep piling on the good. Just keep it going. I mean, so often in the middle of conflict, we turn into soldiers. And Paul's like, no, not soldiers, servants. That's who you are. That's who you need to remember you are in the middle of conflict. But we're concerned about justice. Paul addresses that. God is the God of justice. If there is a wrong done, God knows how to deal with it. It's kind of like when my kids are trying to work out a conflict between the two of them or the four of them, and they're not doing it well. You know what I know about that situation? I am way better at meeting out the judgment than my kids are. If they would just appeal to mom and dad when they can't get through it, oh, we have very effective ways of taking care of discipline. Discipline. God is saying, just leave it to me. It's it's his job. His anger is always righteous. Mine, slightly less righteous. Your boss is making work terrible for you? Set your eyes on Jesus and serve them with joy. Spouse driving you crazy? Pray for them. Do good for them. The list could go on and on. I hesitate and don't like giving positive examples of things I've done, um, mainly because I don't have a lot. (laughs) Um, but also it doesn't always sound good, but there is one particular case that I think God just gave me, and and he he used it in the life of my family, and I just want to bring it to you. My my son and I were hunting on some property that's adjacent to another property. Uh, What we're hunting is not very big, and and the adjacent property is not very big either, but it's full of deer, so we we like going there, And, and we had been going there for a few years, and we got up, and Boy, this deer was in between my son and I, and all of a sudden, this uh, ATV comes riding up right in the middle of our, of our field where, where we're hunting. And the deer is like, you know, like, what's going on? And it stayed there, and then the ATV left. And I thought, ah, that's weird. What is happening? Long story short, the deer goes away. The ATV eventually goes away. And I realized, I think I might know who this is. We get down out of the tree stand, and I get my son and we go walking and find, I'll just call him Big. I'm just Mr. Big. All right. And he's just standing there like this at the end of this trail. And I'm thinking, what in the world is happening? Walk up to him and realize he's got a giant problem with me and my son hunting this property, taking all the deer away from everyone. And, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know where this came from. And it was not good, not kind, nothing. And I didn't know what to say. And here's my son standing right here. So I, I, I feel like as his dad, I need to be like, you want to throw it down right now? You know, like, like show my son how tough, how, how, we, how men deal with this stuff. And besides, we're both holding weapons. <laughs> Set that aside. Um, that's not an option. And so anyway, this conversation gets pretty intense, but I keep asking questions like, w- I don't understand where this is coming from. What- if there was a problem, why not just say something? I- anyway, at the end of it, I just said, listen, if, if-, if it's that big of a deal to you, we just won't hunt here anymore. It's okay. I- this is a big state. It's a big county. Uh, we'll go someplace else. I-, I-, I, don't- I don't want this kind of problem. I do not want this kind of relationship. I thought maybe you would have said something to me, uh, you know, Call me or text me. You have my number. Anyway, we leave. We get in the car and uh, talking to Cole. And uh, I said, what'd you think about that? And Cole said, I wish you would have stood up for us. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that was totally unfair. I wish you would have stood up. I said, "Eh, I understand that. But I don't see that situation going well if I escalate it at all what we're going to do is we're going to to pray for him. Let's just pray. Well, we get home and I'm super bothered. Uh, But we sit down at dinner and I decide I'm going to tell my family this story. And together we're going to commit to pray for this individual. I didn't think I was wrong. Um, I did look there in the mirror. Like, have I done something? I couldn't determine that I'd done anything. Um, Kristen is a truth teller. She would have told me. And she said, I think you're good. Okay, so let's pray for this guy. So we do. November, December, January, February. I'm in my office at the Bridgewater Church office building. No one else is there. Offices are closed. I'm just in there working all alone. Somehow I forgot to lock the door. Open The door opens. I hear it. And I come down to see who's coming in. It's big. It's this guy. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> like... he's big and um, I I said can I help you he said yeah and he went on to make the most humble sincere contrite apology I may have ever heard in my life he said I am so sorry you and your son need to hunt that land I I hope you do I, I will never bother you again I am Deeply moved and, you know, to shame. I was like, what? Got to go back to Cole and say, you know, I, I could have dealt with it a different way. But I can't turn a man's heart. I can't. But God did. And you got to experience that. Unbelievable. And that, that really changed my perspective because sometimes I, we preach and I believe and I really want this to be true and wonder, does it really work? This just sounds like pansy stuff. No, this is God's way. And it really is unbelievable. And it shows us once again that the way you handle conflict will determine the quality of your relationships. So here's a question. What kind of relationship do you want? What do you want your relationships to look like and what are you willing to do to get there? Are you willing to honor people by overcoming evil with good? What would happen in your marriage, at your job, with your kids, with your parents, with your neighbors, if you began to show people honor? As we do this, I think we would watch watch a lot of things change. Not only that, I think we would mirror God to the world because here's what I know. Never once... Were we good toward God? Never one time, and never once has He been evil towards us. Romans 5 10 and 11 says, For since our relationship, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of His Son while we were still His enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of His Son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God while we were his enemies. So here's the time now to mirror God to the world. This is how we honor each other, even in conflict. So let me just give you three quick questions to ask yourself in conflict. First, what do I want for this person right now? If the answer is anything evil, (laughs) you're wrong, all right? What does this person need right now is the second question to ask. What do they need most right now? We're focusing on them. This is what we're doing. And the third is, do I want to be right or do I want to be righteous? There is a difference. We need to choose the way of righteousness. Let me encourage you to be here in three weeks as we talk about forgiveness. I do want to say that uh, relationships are tough. We've created a resources landing page for you uh, right here. You can uh, scan with your phone. This QR code takes you to our uh, Bridgewater uh, resource page for this series. We've got two weeks of resources up there already today and the next two weeks uh, as things get a little, get, little more complicated in our relationships and what we're talking about, we'll supply some more resources there for you to, uh, to look at. Also, as you leave today, you can grab a magnet, one per refrigerator. Um, Five strategies for overcoming evil with good. Just take them as you leave and walk out the doors today. And um, we would do well to mirror God to the world this way and watch him change things right before our very eyes. But we need help, so let's pray. God, you have been so good to us, and we don't deserve it at all. Nothing that we've done that would cause you to look at us and say, I should love them. But you just do because you are love. I pray that as we walk out of here today, and probably, I would guess, pretty quickly, have an opportunity for conflict. I pray that we would take a deep breath, slow down, and employ the strategies that you have laid out for us in Romans 12, believing that you can not only change us, but you can change the people we're in conflict with. I pray that as we do, you'd give us great joy. And you would help us to look like Jesus to the world. And you would change people's lives through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.